1. If you don't have a Bible and need one, there should be a black hardbound Bible somewhere around you in the pews. Um, And Luke chapter 1 is on page 855 of that Bible. This morning, we begin a new series in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a Gentile, a physician. Tradition tells us He is from Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, uh, Paul and Barnabas Barnabas spend a year teaching and preaching in Antioch. It's in Antioch that the followers of Jesus are called Christians. Then in chapter 13 of Acts, it's the church in Antioch that sends out the first missionaries that we read of, this same Paul and Barnabas. And Paul goes on three missionary journeys, and Luke travels with him. In fact, the first time that Paul is in prison in Rome, he is surrounded by friends, one of whom is Luke. He writes in Colossians 4, Luke, the beloved physician, is with me, as is Demas. Well, the second time he is in a Roman prison, he knows his death is near, but he's not surrounded like he was before. In fact, all his friends are gone. All but one. Second Timothy chapter 4 says, Do your best to come to me, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me to go to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And it's this Luke that writes the gospel that we're going to be studying and its sequel, the book of Acts. And between Luke and Acts, Luke writes about 27.5% of the New Testament material, which means he has written more than any other New Testament author, even the Apostle Paul. And Luke begins his gospel with these four verses, which is one sentence in the original Greek language all to tell us how and why he's writing. Luke chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 to 4. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is what the Spirit of God says to us. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our God, we come to Your Word, written by Your servant, inspired by Your Spirit, and we come asking for Your help that we might understand what You have written, that even in looking in these opening words of this gospel, that You would feed our souls, that You would encourage us, strengthen us and in some way that we might have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
F.F. Bruce uh, was one of the most influential biblical scholars in the 20th century. And, And at the beginning of one of his books, he asked these two questions. Does it matter whether the New Testament documents are reliable? Is it so very important that we should be able to accept them as historical records? Now, some say, no, it's not all that important because, uh, you know, the principles of Christianity can be true and helpful whether the documents are historical or not. Love your neighbor as yourself is a good thing even if Jesus never spoke it. But here's the issue with that line of thinking. The Christian faith is not merely a set of spiritual and ethical principles. It is the good news of what God has done in human history. This is what the Bible claims. And in speaking of Jesus, we are speaking of the Son of God who stepped out of eternity and stepped into time. Christianity is rooted in real historical events. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. History has always been part of Christian claims. One of the earliest Christian creeds of the church speaks of the historical nature of our faith. The Apostles' Creed speaks of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. That phrase is a historical claim. It's saying he suffered at a particular time. So the reliability of the New Testament matters. And actually, Luke knows this. He gives himself away in these opening verses, doesn't he? He's basically saying, what I write better be reliable. So as he takes up his pen to write, he sets out to give us a reliable account of Jesus. Yes, he is going to communicate theology, but he's going to communicate theology in the context of history. And what he wants Theophilus to do is what he wants us to do, which is to find assurance assurance in the carefully preserved history of Jesus' life and ministry. Find assurance in the carefully preserved history of Jesus' life and ministry. I want us to notice a few things about this opening paragraph. The first is Luke's subject. Luke's subject. Now, anytime anybody sets out to write anything, they got to know what they're writing about, right? Whether you're writing a poem, or you're writing a novel, or you're writing an essay for school, or whether you're writing a history of something, you got to be clear on your subject. And Luke is clear. His subject is the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, he's not the only one who's had the big idea to write something down. He says that. Many have undertaken, he says, in verse 1. Now, who the many are in Luke's mind, we can't actually get to that many. Maybe he has only the other gospel writers in mind. Maybe the apostles who pen what we call the New Testament. Uh, Maybe there are other writings that people have just taken it on themselves to write down an account. You could imagine if you saw something happen that Jesus did, you might write it down for your friend. 
to show them this is what Jesus did. He says many have done this. We don't know who he has in mind about the many, but what we do know is that Luke is not going to tell us, hey, I am just giving you the facts. That's not what he says. Look at verse 1. He says that many, including himself, have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. In other words, the events that we find in this gospel don't just happen. He says they were accomplished among us. Now, what does he mean by accomplished among us? Well, I want you to imagine that you have to write a paper for school, all right? A research paper. So you do the research. You write the outline. You write your first draft. You make edits. You make a title page. You compile a bibliography, and you're pretty sure you're done. And then you go back and you look at the assignment that was given to you by the teacher. And the question in your mind is, have I accomplished all that was set out for me to do? Well, that's actually the way that Luke uses this word. These things didn't just happen. They accomplished something. They fulfilled something. What is it that they accomplished? If you flip backwards... Hear all those pages? That's what Jesus accomplished. Everything that the Old Testament has written is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It all points to Him. It all aims at Him. He fulfills it. Now let me give you just two examples just from Luke's Gospel, so you don't think I'm just making this up. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he opens the scroll to Isaiah 61, and he reads about the Spirit's anointing to preach good news uh, and to heal the the sick and all these things. And then he says, today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then at the end of the gospel, the risen Christ appears to His disciples, and He assures them in Luke 24, everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Luke, friends, Luke is not simply writing the story of Jesus. He wants us to see how this story of Jesus fulfills what God has said, how it has accomplished what God has purposed to do, this great and grand and glorious purpose of God that we find way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God looks at Abram and He says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not some of them, all. He's not saying, Abram, all of just your physical descendants are going to be blessed. He does not say that. God says all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And in Luke's gospel, maybe more than any other gospel, we see how broad 
the mission of Jesus really is. That His arms are open wide, that He fulfills God's purpose, His promise to Abram. All families. Jesus throws His arms open to Samaritans and to Gentiles and to tax collectors and to prostitutes and to the poor and to children. Jesus opens His arms to those that society would gladly shove out, those that the religious leaders of the day would gladly shove out. Jesus came to bring them in. The same is true today, friends. Jesus' arms are open to Israelis and to Palestinians. Jesus' arms are open to Russians and to Ukrainians. You see, in any kind of war situation, the one side sees the other side as the enemy, but God sees two sides that are His enemies. But in Jesus Christ, the mission to all those enemies is wide open. His arms are open to terrorists if they will come by faith. Friend, His arms are even open to you. Even you. Luke's subject is Jesus fulfilling God's purposes of salvation. It is, as the angel will say to the shepherds, good news of great joy for all people. We don't just see Luke's subject here. We also see Luke's method. How did he go about writing this gospel? Because he didn't have firsthand knowledge, you understand. Uh, he, he didn't watch Jesus do miracles. He didn't hear Jesus teach in the form of parables. He isn't even from Israel. He's from way up north in Antioch. And yet, as a physician, Luke is accustomed to learning. He's accustomed to careful observation. He is accustomed to do research. So the first thing that's part of Luke's method is that Luke investigates he doesn't just sit down one day and he said, well, I've heard about Jesus. Let me just sit down and just throw something together. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't wing it. He doesn't just dive in. He investigates. Now, most of us don't actually think about, have you ever sat down and just thought about a biblical writer investigating something? We don't actually think that way. We have this notion that somehow they go into a room with pen and paper and like light just shines down on them and they become kind of uh, kind of like those, you know, the old, uh, the old printers that you could watch go, brrr, brrr, brrr. you remember those? Most of you don't. Google it, all right? So, uh, so but that's, this is that what we think, is that somehow, you know, Luke's in there and he's just, he's just some kind of, you know, writing trance or something. But he's not. He investigates all of the facts about Jesus because he wants to get it right. Yeah. You may know the name Norman Rockwell. He's a painter and illustrator from the last century, and his, his art was on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post for like 
five decades. Uh, they're iconic paintings. One of them is called The Shiner. And The Shiner depicts a 10-year-old girl with red hair and a black eye sitting outside a principal's office. Now, when, when Rockwell set out to paint this, he used as the model for this little girl a girl named Mary Whalen. That was his lawyer's daughter. But he wasn't sure how to get the black eye just right. He did, you know, black eyes can be very various different colors and shades mixing in, and he was like, how do I do this? So he actually went to the local hospital to see if he could find an eye injury patient that he could just look at. And when he couldn't find one there, he just told a reporter what he was doing, and he got hundreds of responses. And in the end, it was a little boy named Tommy that became the model for the black eye. Tommy was two, year old, two years old, and he had two black eyes from falling down some stairs. And so Rockwell painted little Mary Whalen with little Tommy's black eye. Now, friends of an artist will go to that extent to investigate so that he can get a black I correct. Should we really be surprised that one who wants to write about Jesus Christ wouldn't go to great lengths to make sure they get it right? Especially one who wasn't there. So in verse 2, he says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us. He's, he talks to eyewitnesses. He's heard from eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. This is one group, not two groups, the way that it's written, but primarily this would be the apostles. Remember, Luke and Barnabas had been in Antioch and teaching, and then as Luke goes on travels with Paul, he would talk to others. And when he's in Jerusalem, he would talk to even more people who heard Jesus teach, people who ate some of the bread that he multiplied, some of the, uh, some of the people who saw how he healed, maybe even some people who were healed. We don't know who all he was talking to, but what we know is what he's saying is, I've done my homework. I talked to the people who were there. I talked to the people who know he doesn't just open up a Google search, you understand, and type in Jesus of Nazareth and then click on the first link and believe everything that's at that first link and then write a paper. That is a terrible way to do research, by the way. As if the first link means it must be the most true. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Remember, he's a physician. It's like tracking, the, tracking symptoms in order to come to a diagnosis. Luke tracks down all the evidence, all the teachings, all the parables to be certain that he has all the information. He says in verse 3, he has followed all things closely for some time past. He investigates closely, meticulously, diligently, painstakingly to make sure that what he writes is right. 
Now, dear Christian, I think this is a helpful thing for us to see because I think we should take Luke as a kind of example for us, that we should actually be diligent like Luke is. We should be diligent in studying the Scripture. We should be diligent in seeking to understand God. We should be diligent in seeking to grow in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, just in general, Christians should be the most diligent people when it comes to seeking truth. In general, we should care about truth. News stories come at us 24-7. Don't you dare walk around and echo the first story that you heard on MSNBC or Fox News or Newsmax or wherever it is that you find news. Don't you dare do it. Be diligent. Be committed to the truth. Don't don't for spin and conspiracy theories. Be diligent. Luke is diligent. Luke investigates these matters about the Lord Jesus, and after he investigates, the second piece is that he writes. He writes. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Now, when he says it seems good to him, he wasn't like, well, I was kind of bored the other day, and it seemed like, hey, this is a good idea. I'll, just, I'll do something with my time. Let me write something down. That's not what he's saying. When he says it seemed good to him, it means he made an intentional decision to do this thing which is good. It was an intentional decision to write this account for Theophilus. And he says it's an orderly account. Now, generally, the book is in chronological order, and there is a kind of geographical order to it. Uh, Jesus moves from Galilee to Samaria to Jerusalem. But that's not what he means by orderly. He's saying the gospel, his gospel is put together in a way that makes sense. He's not saying that everything in chapter, say, 14 happened immediately after chapter 13. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But he puts them together in an orderly fashion. Nothing is out of order in that sense. Why is that so important? Well, it is important for those who are going to read this gospel and try to learn from it, right? But you know what else? It's incredibly important for those who are going to read this gospel to try and tear it apart and try to criticize it. Look, you know this. You remember this. The anti-Jesus sentiment during those days was high. All you have to do is read the book of Acts, and those who follow Jesus are being imprisoned and beaten and killed. And so imagine if you're in that group that you hate, Christi- you hate the Christian faith, you hate Jesus, and here is this gospel tract written by Luke. Wouldn't you search it high and low for every little mistake you could find? Wouldn't you try to find some exaggeration in there, something that's a little twisted, so that you might use it against the church, so that you might say, ha, yeah, we know you just have an agenda you're trying to well, he does have an agenda. He's not, he's not lying about that. But, he, but the, the agenda is fed by truth. What he's after is fed by what actually happened. And Luke's saying, 
Look, search high and low in this gospel. You're not going to find that anything is out of order. Everything here is as it was. Again, I wonder, are we like that? Are we orderly? I mean, when you sit down at lunch with your friend in order to share Jesus with them, you know that that's what you want to do when you get there. Have you given one thought to what you will say? Have you thought about how to be orderly, to be comprehensible, to be clear, to be compelling? Luke investigates, Luke writes, but there's one thing that's not actually in this text, but the whole of the Bible would say this about Luke's method. Luke is inspired. Now, what I don't mean is that he's inspired in the way a poet is inspired by a sunset or the way a gymnast is inspired by Simone Biles or the way a jazz player is inspired by Count Basie or something like that. I mean, even though it is true, plenty of people would say the life and teaching of Jesus is inspiring in that kind of way. But when we say that Luke is inspired, we're using a theological category that is taught in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we just talked about how Luke works hard and he does his investigation. He doesn't go to libraries because there wasn't one. But he's talking to people. He's interviewing eyewitnesses. He's working hard. How How does that whole breathed out by God thing work? Well, it's a good question. As Luke does his research, as Luke gathers information, as he chooses his words, as he selects the stories that will be put in and those that will not be put in, as he crafts sentences, as he puts things in order, something supernatural is happening in all of that. The Holy Spirit is at work helping Luke, strengthening Luke, guarding Luke from all error. 2 Peter 1 says that men like Luke and those who wrote the Scripture are carried along by the Holy Spirit as they write. So as Luke sits down and he takes his pen and he's going to write this well-researched Uh, uh, orderly account of Jesus, he does write his own words. But as he writes his own words, he writes the very words that God wants him to write in the order that God wants him to write it with complete truthfulness as God designed. So as, you, as we read the gospel, this is amazing. As we read the gospel of Luke, it's not just that Luke is testifying about Jesus. God himself is testifying about Jesus. It's not just that Luke tells us, hey, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. It's God himself saying, look, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills all of the purposes that I have set forth for the world. 
And so as we read this book, as we study it, we receive it not just because of Luke's accuracy, but we receive it because of God's authority. As Luke speaks, God is speaking. And so we don't just believe it to be true, but to have authority. Whoever speaks, the words that that person speaks carries the authority of that person. You understand? So uh, if one of my children goes into another room of one of my children and says, hey, you really need to clean this room up. It kind of looks gross. You need to clean your room. What do you think that sibling might do? Well, any number of things that are wrong, but in general, they would decline the offer to clean the room, decline the command. If dad walks in, and says the exact same words. You need to clean your room. They may decline. They may defy. They may disobey. But it is a different level of authority that they are disobeying. The same is true. These are not just Luke's words. They are Luke's words. But they are God's words. So he investigates, he writes, and in the, in the end, he is inspired. The last thing to notice is Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose. He says in verse 3 that he's writing to a man called Theophilus. Now, there's a lot of speculation about Theophilus, a lot of speculation that I ain't going to touch this morning. He seems to be a real person. The most excellent phrase really points to that. I mean, he could be a patron of Luke's, you know, that paid for the publication. He may be a Roman official. He may be a Roman governor of some kind. He may be a lot of people fill in that blank. I don't think we read these four verses so we can try to figure out who Theophilus is, except to say that Luke has particular goals in mind when it comes to Theophilus. He does seem to be a Christian. Look at verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. It's not that Theophilus has just heard about Jesus, heard some things about Jesus. It is that he has been taught. It's a word, uh, the Greek word is the word that we get catechism from. It is a systematic teaching of Christian doctrine. He has been taught. So Luke's concern isn't necessarily to introduce him to new things that he's never heard before. Luke wants to assure him that the things that he has been taught are true. They're true. Verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, as Theophilus has questions, doubts even, like all of us do at one time or another. If he asks questions like, did Jesus really come to save the world? Does he really love the outsider? Is a crucified Messiah really the hope of the world? Did Jesus really fulfill God's purposes of redemption? When he asks these kinds of questions or a dozen others, when he's grasping for assurance, for certainty, he can pick up this gospel and read it again and find assurance. He can find assurance in the carefully preserved history 
of Jesus' life and ministry. It's as if Luke is saying, yes, Theophilus, what you've been taught is true. Jesus isn't a figment of your imagination or of anyone else's. He's not a character in a fairy tale. He is a very real human being, a very real part of human history. Because remember, Luke, nor Theophilus for that matter, would have ever actually laid eyes on Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, he's a great teacher, Theophilus, but he's so much more than that. Yeah, he performed miracles, but, but he actually accomplished something far greater. He fulfilled God's saving purposes. Yes, Theophilus, you are trusting in the real Savior of the world who truly lived and died and rose again in history. Read this gospel, Theophilus, and read it again that you may have certainty. I've checked the sources. I've interviewed the eyewitnesses. I've, I've, I've been with the apostles, and it's all true. All of the good news of great joy for all people, it's true, Theophilus. You can sleep peacefully tonight, Theophilus, knowing that your future is sure, knowing that Jesus Christ really has saved you, that His death really does forgive sins that your place in the kingdom of heaven is secure because Jesus really is Theophilus, the Savior of the world. And dear friend, what Luke's gospel does for Theophilus, it does for us. If you're a young Christian, maybe a doubting Christian, maybe a struggling Christian, Luke would point you to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Jesus of history, and urge you to look to Him again, and you'll be able to find your way. You'll find assurance. You'll find help. You'll find hope. If you've been a Christian a very long time, Luke's gospel will strengthen your faith by showing you your faith isn't just something your parents taught you like they taught you how to have good manners at the dinner table. Your faith is rooted in the historical reality of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you're not a Christian, know this, the Bible does not ask you to believe in a fairy tale or a myth or just a legend or just some set of beliefs that some people came up with at some point. The Bible calls us all to consider Jesus and what He did in history, in living the life that none of us can live, and in dying a sacrificial death to pay the penalty for our sins, and in rising again in triumph over the grave and over sin. In fact, if these things are things you struggle with, I would actually tell you don't study about the reliability of the Bible first. You go look at the historicity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you come to the realization that all the theories that surround it are, are just flights of fancy, when you see that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and there is no other way to explain His empty tomb, not that's realistic, not that takes into account all the facts, then, then, 
Once you know Him by faith, it is really in the end by faith that you will come to see what He said is true. Luke will show you that Jesus has His arms open wide to you. And that Jesus says to you what He said to another man who once lost his way. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, this book is more than history. It is good news of great joy for all people. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that in Your providence we have these verses to show us the the diligence of Your servant in writing down these accounts about Jesus, and that You have superintended all of it so that as we read it, we are reading Your words and not merely His. We pray, Lord, that the subject that drove Luke to write the person and work of Jesus Christ as the pinnacle of all Your purposes, that that subject will capture our heart, that He will capture our hearts. I pray for those who are doubting and struggling and have questions, that You would give them diligence to search Your Word, to find hope and help in it. For those who are not Christians at all, would You open their eyes by Your Spirit, through Your Word, that they might see what Jesus has accomplished in the world, and that by faith they would see Jesus accomplish that salvation in their life. Help us, Lord, to live as people of the book, to be diligent about truth, both in learning and in speaking. Guard us from spouting our own theories. Keep us close to Your Word and Your truth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.